Welcome to Ram and Sam. We are back again. And, you know, you know, I got a smile on my face after what happened this last weekend. Conference championships. You know, it went the way we guessed. It really, I mean, you know, it was close in one game, not really close in the other. We'll get into that. But, Ram, doesn't it feel great to be right? I mean, we can do it. We can just start with. A toast to Pat Mahomes, a toast to Andy Reid, a toast to their AFC dominance. I mean, there's there's a lot of the big picture stuff with the Chiefs with Pat Mahomes that could still happen here with the Super Bowl appearance coming, but a lot of it's already solidified. It was solidified with the AFC championship appearance, but going into it, I mean, you said it, this is the most nervous, I think, as a Chiefs fan you could possibly be going into a game. You're facing the Bengals. You've lost to them the last three times, and Mahomes is on top of the league. The Chiefs are the team. The AFC still goes through Kansas City, but these guys, I mean, Burrow's on your heels. He's right there, and it feels like maybe, you know, mentally is Burrow on Mahomes' level, but it feels like even though that now the record between these guys is still, Burrow's still up 3-1. He still has you know, more on Mahomes. He's still, he's still beaten Mahomes more times than not. He has still had deep runs in his two seasons, but it feels like with this game now, Mahomes has really just flipped all the narratives back. He's on top. A toast to those guys. These are your guys. So, I mean, I mean, cheers, Sam. This is it. Another Super Bowl appearance for Pat Mahomes. Yeah. Fifth straight conference, AFC championship conference at home. Um, winning three out of five of them. So I think that's a pretty, pretty good record for him. Um, only one that lost was that first one against the Pats and then the last one against the Bengals. And looking at this game, it is, you know, with, with the experience of the Bengals beating the Chiefs in last year, you know, they were coming in, talking all that smack, you know, like you mentioned, three and oh, Burrowhead, blah, blah, blah. And, I'm not going to lie. I mean, they, they kind of had, they had, you know, room to talk. They had shown that they had done it before. And I know all the chiefs guys clapped right back when we won, but you know, I mean, they definitely gave up a couple L's to them. So they shouldn't be too surprised. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, looking, I mean, I guess we can get a little bit into the game. Um, The chiefs did get some help from Roger Goodell. I mean, it kind of felt like he called this one in. He needed the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I don't I don't know. Maybe the ratings were down last year with Cincinnati there. Who knows? But, you know, they had nine penalties. Um, let me get see how many yards. But we had half as many, less than half as many penalties at four. And there were some head-scratching moments. I mean, three third and nines. Um, you know, uh, Burrow not getting the – getting roughing the passer call – like Mahomes did, and yeah, 71 yards uh, worth of penalties against the Bengals. Uh, but the Bengals, I mean, if you really look at the game, you know, first of all, Mahomes was hurt 60, 70%. Uh, he could barely throw off of, you know, his left leg, or left or right leg, I can't remember 100%. But the Chiefs also lost 
all but three of their wide receivers, um, two of them who almost never played beforehand. Kelsey was hurt. Sneed was out. Willie Gay was out. And their Bengals offense had – they had their top two guys. They had their running backs. Burrow looked totally fine to me. I mean, I didn't see him hurt at all. And they had two drives, you know, within eight minutes, eight, nine minutes at the end of the game to win it. And they did not. So they got plenty of chances. And even with the, I mean, with the one that was an interception, they did get a holding call against them that pushed them back. But, you know, Barrow got a scramble and was able to get a new set of downs. So in both situations, they had, you know, three straight downs of, you know, where they got hit for and out just because they didn't make it. So, you know, we Cincy fans will complain, but Burrow and his guys had a chance and they couldn't beat Mahomes. There was questionable things all around for the refs in both of these games, but I think both of these games as well just weren't as high level, like quality wise, as maybe we thought they were going to be good. You know, the Chiefs Bengals game was a competitive matchup, high drama. Eagles Niners, obviously not, but I think the refs was just, I think, something to take away because in, you know, games like this, there's just maybe not always a lot to take away from what happened. The refs were questionable. I don't know if the refs directly impact the outcomes in any of these games. I mean, roughing the passer on Mahomes, you know, the play on the sideline where he gets the late hit out of bounds, those are obvious calls. Those are calls that should be made. I don't think people are questioning, you know, whether or not those should have been made. The Burrow, the Burrow one, I'm guessing that's the one where, you know, the the defender comes through, kind of checks him on the chest yeah, a little bit. Or Clark. It was Clark. Clark. It was Clark yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you know, I think I think all year when that's get when that has been called, a lot of fans have been upset going, you know, is this really the kind of NFL we want to see? It doesn't really hit him like in the head at all. It's kind of, it's, it's more not a safe hit. Burrow falls down. Yeah. But I, I don't think the refs were, you know, d- affecting the game in the way that if you look across the sport, it's funny. We had across sports this past week as well. The Cavs or the Celtics Lakers game, the refs missed the call the smack on the wrist. LeBron doesn't get the free throws at the end. The Lakers go to overtime. Wait, that's actually like refs missing a call that affects. There were bad calls in this game. I don't think, I don't think that it affected it the way that this does. I think these games were won on the field. And I think if you look at the previous games between the chiefs and the Bengals, the Bengals got the three victories beforehand, but even with this one victory, it kind of solidifies the fact that going into all of these matchups, the chiefs have felt like the better team. And in these games as well, we thought even in the games, the Chiefs were the better team. I mean, the Chiefs had many opportunities to win these games in the AFC championship. Obviously, they blow the lead. You go watch, rewatch the games. It's just like weird, dumb mistakes that the Chiefs don't make. Fluke things, the Kelsey fumble in the matchup from earlier this year in the AFC championship. In overtime, the first play, Mahomes goes deep, throws the pick, the matchup in the regular season beforehand. But all these times before the Chiefs have felt like the, the better team, and they just solidified that with their performance in this game, regardless of what the refs did. Yeah, and, you know, with this game, uh, when you look at Mahomes' record, he always pushes it to the edge if he is losing. And I think besides the Buccaneers drubbing uh, Super Bowl, I think in the postseason, Mahomes hasn't lost um, in regulation. So, you know, it's it's he's a tough out no matter what. And this game, the Bengals, I mean, they choked. If you look at their last, you know, couple drives, like we mentioned earlier, they choked. And 
it felt a little bit more of a toss-up than it should have, for sure. Um, we're definitely going to need guys healthy to bring it back because, I mean, when you look at the end of the game, if we were going to overtime, I highly doubt we would have won. Kelsey was just getting locked up, and no one was getting open. I mean, Valdez Gantlin was trying his best, but, you know, there was no way he was getting – I mean, with the, with only two options out there, it was really tough. So, I mean, they definitely shot themselves in the foot. But it was definitely, like you mentioned, a competitive matchup. Both, I wish both games were a little bit more high-scoring. Um, you know, we want to see the points put up, but, um, I mean, either way, we still got some, we got some great, we still got the two number one seeds in the Super Bowl, probably the two best teams and if healthy, when healthy. And, um, yeah, I'd, I'd really hope that, you know, these guys are able to take these two weeks and really rest up because it's gonna, you know, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be an interesting game, uh, in the Super Bowl. I mean, Mahomes will we'll have plenty of time to do Mahomes stuff with the Super Bowl preview, you know, coming out of the Super Bowl as well. But Burrow is in in an interesting spot coming out of this game. Two full healthy seasons now. Obviously his rookie season tears his ACL halfway through. Doesn't get to finish that, but the two se- the two seasons he has played start to finish, he has made conference championship runs. He has been kind of sneakily on an impact level these two years, kind of the way Mahomes was with his first two years as well. But is there any like Dan Marino type potential here with this Burrow run with this Bengals team where Moreno, he makes the Super Bowl in in his second season, in his third season, you know, Burrow last year was in his second season, made the Super Bowl in Moreno's third season, makes the conference championship just like Burrow this year. And then the rest of Moreno's career only gets back to the conference championship one more time at that point. You go even more recently than that. Aaron Rodgers won the Super Bowl in his third year, hasn't been back. Brady, he has the early run. The defense is dominant, the three Super Bowls right away, but he goes a decade without winning a Super Bowl. You know, he's 25, I think, when he gets that third one. He doesn't win the fourth one until he's 37 wins four Super Bowls between 37 and 45. That's the crazy thing about Brady. He just kind of outplayed the rest of his career. Like he should have just retired before that first Super Bowl anyways, had the three, but gets obviously the goat, whatever. But he goes the decade long stretch. Like these guys don't win the Super Bowl at the peaks of their careers. You do it when you're young or you you do it when you're, Stafford at the end of your career, LA, he doesn't get the two Super Bowls till he's at the end of his career, you know, older, cheaper guy, younger, cheaper guy, you know, money is a reason for that. So Burrow, Burrow is in an interesting spot where Mahomes on the other end, you know, he, he's smart. He's savvy. He does the business deal. He's team friendly with the contract and it's going to be extension time now going into this off season, the off season after that for Burrow. And if he doesn't like, like, you know, he's saying in the press conferences, the Super Bowl window is open as long as I'm here. And the impact that he has had has proved that. But this Bengals team has been, and this Bengals roster has been underratedly good. And if he doesn't want to do the Dan Marino thing, have the early peak, you know, like the rest of these quarterbacks have the early peak, the early rise, the success. I just, it feels like he should really consider the Holmes path thinking about his contract, thinking about how he wants to play out these next eight, 10 years in Cincinnati, the rest of his career, the rest of his peak, if he wants to maintain competitiveness, because 
you do the, the normal contract thing. It just historically, you're not winning the Super Bowl on that contract. That just is not how it works. So he has an opportunity here to be team friendly, to extend the Super Bowl window as long as he's here, like he said in the press conferences. And it feels like he should use Mahomes as sort of a role model to do that. But the thing is, is to do that and to put trust in your team like that, to take a little bit of a pay cut, the team's got to show stuff to be trusted. And how that works is by bringing an O-line and protecting your guy. And that's one of the things that, you know, has gone under the radar as most O-line play does is that the Chiefs low-key in the last couple of years have built up the O-line. I mean, they've brought in studs like Creed Humphrey, Joe Thune, you know, um, Orlando Brown, and they've protected Mahomes. And yeah, he got injured. You know, that was, I mean, but that was, couldn't consider it a dirty tackle. But Mahomes has had plenty, you know, he has had better protection in the last couple of years. And if if you're Burrow and you're looking at it, it's like, is this team going to actually protect me? Because then that allows me to take that less money before I get all these injuries. Because if if you, I mean, do you want to cash in now? So you can, because he has to put that math in his head of, you know, how much longer is this team going to be together? And how much can I get out of this Jamar Chase T Higgins run? Because those guys are going to want their money eventually. I mean, they're, they're not going to wait. I mean, that's, that's just how it is as a wide receiver. You just can't, I mean, Michael Thomas, two years ago, we we're talking about him as a goat and now he can barely get on a team. And that's another thing is how good is Burrow without, J, uh, without Higgins and Chase who can go up and get it, you know, because a lot of the catches that they make are contested high catches, which they only can make. And now we did make the same argument with Mahomes, but it's a lot easier to find guys who are fast than find guys who can make contested high point catches. And, you know, so it definitely, we, I mean, and Zach Taylor doesn't, which we'll get into a little bit of Andy Reid's history. You know, I got a little hot take for later, but Zach Taylor hasn't shown as much, you know, doesn't have as much as a resume to prove that he can do it with other guys. Um, you know, this is kind of his first coaching job. I think it is his it first coaching be, job. Yeah. I don't know if he's had another young guy. Team. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we don't, we don't know if he can do it with other pieces and not, you know, pretty much a great pairing of Jamar Chase and Burrow. So just a lot of questions and, you know, before Mahomes got into the Chiefs, they had a culture, they had a system, they had players in place, they knew what they were doing, you know, the front office, it was all one, and Mahomes is just the final piece in the, you know, the final infinity stone in the gauntlet. So if you're if you're a Burrow and you're looking at it, it's like, I if I'm him, I personally would take the money just because of it's another year. I mean, what is it, the third year? And again, you had no O-line. Yeah, and you're running for your life. And, I, you know, who knows how long Jamar Chase is going to be there and all those guys. And uh, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, long term, it makes sense to take the shorter deal. But that's only if the team can prove that they can protect him, which they haven't so far. And Burrow is a little, you know, he's starting his career older than Mahomes is. I think he's, a, I think, going to be 27, 28 before he gets that next contract. Yeah. Mahomes is 27, 28 right now when he starts hitting that money but the Bengals have invested in joe burrow i think they've proven that with the draft picks of jamar chase they went out and get him with the fifth pick i mean he's an explosive player dynamic he made that offense you know what it is but that was also burrow's teammate we knew there was other guys there waddle they could have 
gone with as well. You know, th- there, there was other options they could have gone with. They went with Burrow's teammate. And in the offseason, they did go out and try to build up the offensive lines. They just didn't make the right moves. The Lyle Collins at right tackle, he underperformed, ended up getting hurt as well, which most of their guys ended up getting injured. So, you know, you know I, it's, a, it's a more shaky organization, but I think they have done smart things in, in building this team up. And going forward, you have to go, hey, can this team just continue to be smart? I think they can. I think, you know, getting the pass rushers the way they have, having that tandem of Hendrickson and Hubbard and having them on the contracts that they have. Same with the defensive backs as well. And they can even add to the defense if they actually went out and got corners that weren't Eli Apple. Awuzie was hurt hurt for this entire playoff run. That's their, their best actual corner. He wasn't even out there. So this team is still going to have a run here this year, the next couple mm-hmm. years, this won't go away. Like Burrow has proven he is the top quarterback, but I think now it's just in the conference. He's in, you know, he's proven he's, he's in the tier anyways. He's or not the conference. I mean, like in the division, that's what, that's what I mean. in the division easily. I mean, Lamar is going to be out of the division. Watson, I don't know. I don't know, man. Watson over Burrow. Hot take Timmy. Hey, look, look, if Watson, if we switch Burrow and Watson, like, Watson is a better scrambling quarterback. Like if you, you know, I don't know. We, we need to see it, but I don't know. Watson's ceiling is higher, in my opinion. Just his is it his tangible, but you know. Whatever. Well, he would have missed the whole season for Cincinnati this year. So Burrow on Burrow exactly. on the field, I think the Bengals would just take that alone and he's taken up to two conference finals. I think the Bengals are happy with their quarterback, but it's just, you know, there there is legacy stuff here to consider because like we said, you, it as weird as it is. History has shown these guys don't win the Super Bowl. You know, the runs he just had are the opportunities to get it historically. You win it when you're younger or you get to the other side and go, oh, man, my career is almost over. I actually need one of these things. What do I do? I take a little less money. I go to a team. We we were able to build up whatever. So if he does the thing, you know, it's going to be like, hey, are we sacrificing an opportunity? Are we, you know, quote unquote, not ending the run, but. It, are those windows closing the Super Bowl windows that we had in these early years with the young team? So it, it's something to consider. I think you're right. I think with how with how Cincinnati has been in the past and the stability of the Chiefs organization, Mahomes, I think he was de- – you're definitely more confident in that when you're signing a long-term contract. But I think Burrow, there is he has a chance to be smart with his money, a smart with his long-term future, and a smart to – you know, if he like he says, if he wants to be the Cincinnati guy, if he wants to maintain the window, I think you could do it on the field, obviously, but financially as well. Yeah, no, he definitely can. He definitely can. And um, you know, with how that team is built, we'll we'll have to see. I mean, they they just started being good. I mean, before Burrow, it was not pretty down and over in Cincinnati. So, you know, they they don't have a history of being great, but it's at the end of the day, it's up to him. I mean, and that's a good point you brought up. He is an older quarterback. I think he was drafted while being 24? older than Lamar Jackson. 25? Yeah. And yeah, Jackson already had an MVP and stuff. So, so yeah, he's yeah, definitely an older that. quarterback. So, I, but you know, I think that's another reason for him not to wait around. So, but, um, so it, it got back. Burrow drafted, played his rookie year, 24 years old. So, played this year, 26 years old. I guess he'll have the, I guess, fourth year next year and then the fifth year and then option mm-hmm. after that. But would you think Burrow at his age 
Do you think he's a guy, you know, at his status, obviously he's proven, he's probably not even going to want to play under that fifth-year option anyways if he's able to, if the team's able to decline that, lock him down financially, and then he probably can't, he can't cop, copy the Holmes model perfectly as well and do the 10 year thing, because then he'll hit free agency for the sec or for the second or third time at 37 years old, probably not ideal for that as well. But I think, you know, we saw the 49ers do things with Garoppolo's contract, the way they move the money around there. We've seen Mahomes manipulate his contract, like we've mentioned. So there are ways to do it. He's at a time in his career where financially he's going to have to start thinking long-term and again, legacy wise, he's just one of the special guys where We've we've been saying it for this whole playoff run, but the Jordans, the Stocktons, the Malones, who are these guys? Like he's one of these guys that has emerged as, you know, who's gonna take who's just can we throw a team around this guy and he's going to produce a playoff run no matter what? Joe Joe Burrow is one of the elite guys. So wanna see that in Cincinnati for as long. Obviously, you don't as a Chiefs fan, but to keep the league exciting, to keep the league fun, we want to see that around as long as possible and money's going to be on his mind here for Joe Burrow. So time to, you know, think about it, be smart and keep the window open as long as possible. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, uh, when he's not playing the chiefs, you know, Bengals are a fun team to watch. Uh, I do think they're a little bit up and down, but yeah, they've been consistent these next two years. And yeah, this is going to be a big off season for the Bengals. This one in the next, as they, figure out what they do the next five, six years with this team. Cause they're definitely at that stage where, you know, people are going to have to start getting paid, but um, that wasn't the only championship game this weekend, even though it did feel like it Niners totally get blown out by the Eagles. How much did you want to see Christian McCaffrey at quarterback? Cause I was kind of hoping for it. I mean, they, they put the mic in there. I mean, they, they should have, just should have let him start the rest of the game at, with the score as lopsided as it was. Christian McCaffrey is honestly the one good thing that came out of this game for San Francisco. Honestly, why not just put him in a quarterback if, Bert, if Purdy's just going to, you know, hand the ball off, do check downs. Christian McCaffrey has proven himself to be an elite weapon in this offense. An elite, you know, Shanahan just knows how to perfectly use this guy. Trent Williams is just, you know, Tr- Shanahan knows how to use a tackle to scheme him up to open up holes in the run game, you know, throwing him around out there. He knows how to use McCaffrey properly. And, you know, you you go back to when he was drafted in Carolina. You think about that Carolina run. He's kind of just changed his, the perception, you know, of himself, obviously being a top tier guy, you know, he's in and out with injury in Carolina. Plus Carolina is not really good. So he's just really doesn't really have a reason to be playing. We don't really get to see his elite greatness in a stretch like this. And is he kind of just, he might just be honestly not changing my mind on the running backs, but at least he's making me see what these teams were thinking when they were drafting running backs this high. Because if you go back to when Christian McCaffrey was drafted, he was taken eighth overall in 2017. Leonard Fournette was taken fourth overall in that draft. That was in the peak. Like let's take running backs in the top 10 Zeke the year before was taken fourth overall. Todd Gurley in 2015 was taken 10th overall and Saquon in 2018. So the next year after the McCaffrey draft was taken second overall. And if you, you know, all those guys, the teams have mixed mixed success. The guys careers have been up and down, but you look at what they've done at their peaks. Gurley, the two years, 2017, 2018, he puts up almost 
4,000 yards, 4,000 all-purpose yards, and 40 touchdowns in those two seasons. He wins Offensive Player of the Year in 17. And in 18, they go to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff at quarterback. Zeke, his rookie year, I mean, that's Dak's best season. It's his highest passer rating, highest QBR. That's probably the best that that team has looked up until this season when it comes to, like, can they win the Super Bowl? Fournette, his rookie season was the weird year when the Jags stumbled into the conference championship. They do that with Blake Bortles at quarterback. All these guys don't even have good quarterbacks. I mean, you look at Saquon this year, Daniel Jones is his quarterback, finally give him some stability, and the Giants end their playoff drought. They have the highest finish they've had in the last, like, five years in points and yards. And you see what McCaffrey did in this playoff run. I mean, the numbers aren't going to bear it out. The last two games, 25 attempts, 119 yards. 10 receptions for 44 yards. The numbers aren't going to bear it out for this playoff run, but you see what he did in the last two games, what the glimpses of it were in this Eagles game. I mean, on that one drive with Josh Johnson, where they go down, they get the touchdown. You see how special he was. You kind of see what these teams were thinking about when they were like, Hey, we actually need an elite weapon like this. Cause you see how impactful they can be. So I, I agree with you. Like McCaffrey, like he's the weapon. Give him an opportunity. If your quarterback's meaningless, might as well just give one of these elite guys a shot. Yeah, let let McCaffrey cook. But honestly, I mean, he was the only bright spot in this whole game. And, you know, with the Eagles steamrolling them 31-7, I mean, ESPN didn't even write a review for this game on their webpage, which they write for every game because it was just so lopsided. I mean, it's pretty obvious. And, you know, as much as we want, obviously, some insight from the Eagles, I mean, they've had a pretty, pretty smooth ride to the Super Bowl here, um, only playing two games against uh, the Cowboys and then um, – or not the Cowboys, the Giants and the 49ers. So um, only allowing 14 points in both games over 30 points in both games. So, you know, take take what you will. And, you know, obviously the Eagles were helped a little bit by the refs too. I mean, the 49ers, I mean, they also on them. I mean, they gave up 81 yards, 11 penalties, and, um, and you know, seven first downs from penalties. I mean, that's, that's tough. I mean, it's bad enough they're beating you, but you're beating yourself. And, you know, it, it was over before it started, but, yeah, like you mentioned, McCaffrey, I mean, he, he definitely shown the last couple games why the reason for him to be traded, um, because I'm not going to lie, I, I thought, you know, I, I knew the trade was going to improve the team, but it did seem a little redundant considering that that was already their strength. But, you know, it 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 made their strength even stronger. And it's it's tough for a team like this to go out like this, you know, with no – not really any, you know, really fight, not really a chance having to go to their fourth string guy. I mean, you know, I, I think, yeah, that'd be considered a fourth string and then even fifth string at one point almost. So, you know, tough for Shanahan to go out like this, but, you know, he brought this team to the conference championship with their third stringer. And, you know, I, I, I consider it a pretty good season considering they didn't have their starting guy. And does Shanahan now just become like the what if guy of this run? Because all of these playoff runs that they've had, I mean, there have been seasons where, you know, Garoppolo has been hurt. They haven't really made the playoffs in those years and those seasons as well. They've been competitive. Those are what if seasons where if it's what if Garoppolo stays healthy, but 
the playoff runs themselves where they're in the playoffs and Shanahan, it's not even with the Niners. It's, it's, it's his whole career. Obviously go back to Atlanta, the Super Bowl with the Pats. What if Matt Ryan doesn't take the sack? What if they don't call the play there? Matt Ryan takes the sack. They get the holding on the next play. They're out of field goal range. They punt. Brady obviously gets the ball back. The rest is history. In the Casey, in the Kansas City Super Bowl, too. I mean, you you bring it up when talking about Garoppolo because you know, but I mean, he overthrows Emmanuel Sanders on the play. The game could have been 28-24. They could have taken the lead. It would have been interesting, but Garoppolo overthrows him. He misses it against the Rams last year. Jaquaski Tart drops the interception. That could have changed the game. And now against this Eagles, it's like. What if what if he doesn't r- call the play where, for some reason, the Eagles' best pass rusher, who is also one of the most dynamic pass rushers in the league, is being blocked by a backup tight end? Like, let's call that play. Reddick obviously comes flying in. Nobody's stopping him. Hits Purdy on the arm. Tears his... Well, now we know. I Obviously, we didn't know at the game, but now we know, recording this Wednesday night, we know that Purdy tore his... UCL. So it makes sense that he couldn't throw the football. So just time and time again with the Shanahan, what with Shanahan, just these big what if things. And you kind of have to lump him in now, don't you, with like the 90s Bills where four Super Bowls, four years, they don't win. The 70s Vikings, three Super Bowls in four years, they were big what if team back in the day. Like, is that kind of the era that he's in now with the runs? Because all of these teams that he's had, they've been competitive. Feels like they should be in the mix. I mean, the Niners defense all season. And even in this game, like the Eagles offense couldn't move the ball for most of most of the first half. They score on, you know, the end of the first half. Josh Johnson just drops the ball. They drive down. All of these teams have been competitive. They feel like they belong. And for some reason, they all have like, you know, explainable, reasonable football things that happen over the course of these games where it's like, yeah, it makes sense that they lost it, but also just, what if is Shanahan just the what if guy now that we have in the league? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the 49ers and Shanahan have always been plagued with injuries. It seems like every single year. And, you know, this year it was the quarterback position that got hurt the most. And like you mentioned, with all those situations, you know, a lot of them he's up or he's in, you know, he's meant to win. He's landed to win in a lot of those situations. And, you know, it just falls apart because of one play or a couple of injuries or something outside of his control. And, you know, it, it sucks because, you know, he is a good coach. And, you know, he, he has shown in X's and O's, he's really, he's one of the elite in the game. But one thing maybe to look at is maybe in the people personnel that could use some work, especially with injuries being the main theme of, of his team being held back. You know, maybe you need to look at practices what's being held with that, uh, maybe some of the nitty-gritty. But I think with the 49ers, I, I, you know, I don't think they're going to make huge changes here. I think they're going to stay the course. Um, now, where they might make changes is with the quarterback, um, which we might get into a little bit. But for most of the rest of the team, um, including the coach and all that, I think they're making a smart move. Just keep the talent you got. Bring it back next year. Throw ever who you feel like at QB and try to run it back because it's, you know, it. I mean, they've been very competitive, um, making it to the conference championship or divisional round each year, last couple of years. And I, th- I don't see why not they should keep up the trend. Now we know who's in the Super Bowl. Eagles, Chiefs, 
And so it's time for Super Bowl storylines. And the top one, in my opinion, I know there's the Kelsey brothers, which, you know, we'll get into a little bit and, you know, QB matchup. But the one I'm most interested in is Andy Reid. And he's the fifth coach ever to coach against his former team. 18 playoff appearances, 36 in 36 postseason games, the second most playoff wins. And you know, you start looking at the stats, and, and it's it seems like he was right there. He's a little bit behind Tom Landry and some of the stuff, and then Belichick. But with his last run, he's pretty much past Landry with the second most playoff wins. Um, better percentage should be than Landry at second place. Um, Landry does have more Super Bowls, but um, he's tied with him with conference championships. And, you know, also um, Reed has the most all-time wins um, with the Eagles and the Chiefs. Um, made it to the conference championship five times with both teams. It may be, you know, should we hot take here is – Read the best coach of all time. Now, before all the Patriots fans start coming at me, start saying, oh, but six to one, blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes. Okay. Is he? He's not currently, but he's definitely on the path and very much well on his way. And it's not only because of his resume, which is very staunch. And, you know, I mean, some people, even Cowboys guys could come out and say Tom Landry. But, you know, you go look at Landry. He was the first to use stats. It was a little bit of the Stone Age when he was coaching. I mean, he literally came up with the 4-3 defense. Um, you know, it is actually a really interesting historical study if you go look at it of how they actually went out and scouted players and were like, hey, we should use statistical data instead of going off of word of mouth and, you know, some biased coaches, shall we say, you know, in some well-known places. So, he, you know, hats off to him for figuring it out. But we're talking about in the modern NFL where everyone has an iPad. So when you look at Reed, yes, his, his stats aren't quite up there with Belichick, who had, you know, what was some would argue the GOAT quarterback, you know, and first five years with someone who could pass that GOAT quarterback, five conference championships, three Super Bowls already, and going to um maybe go to and maybe get two in them who knows hopefully, but I think what brings the gap closer and makes it really interesting is the coaching tree because what is a coach at the end of the day? A coach is a teacher, and the best teachers know how to teach their students. And when you look at Belichick's students versus Reed's students, it is a gulf, a wide gulf in terms of quality of the coaches. Let, let's take a look at some of Andy Reid's best and brightest students. His one, his brightest is one is painted aside the last couple of years. Sean McDermott, been really close some of these games. John Harbaugh, Super Bowl winner. Some of the greatest teams, you know, Matt Nagy, he had a rough time with the Chicago Bears. You can get a little iffy, but Doug Peterson, resurrecting the Jaguars, also a Super Bowl winner. Um, Ron Rivera, you know, took the Panthers to the Super Bowl with, uh, you know, with Cam Newton up and down with some other teams, but uh, considered one of the better coaches in the NFL. Todd Bowles, one of the best coordinators. Um, Pat Shermer, you know, he, he's also had some good runs as a coordinator. Leslie Frazier as the Bills defensive coordinator. Spags now back with us. 
And um, but yeah, those are easily you just take a look at those guys. Many of them Super Bowl winners made it to Super Bowls. Some of the top coordinators, you know, they've had their stretches as head coaches as well, but not as good records. But um, found the roles, and we take a look over at uh Billy over there, Bill Belichick. What what who who has come out of his tree? You got Al Grow nine and seven. Nick Saban, you know, best best college quarterback of all time, but you know, it's we're talking about NFL here. Um, you know, Romeo Cornell, um, Eric Mangini, Jim Schwartz, um, you know, you look at Josh McDaniels, uh, Matt Patricia, Bill O'Brien. I mean, Bill O'Brien had some interesting times, but you know, how much was he actually dragged by Deshaun Watson? You know, and then yeah, Matt Patricia. I mean, that was an ugly moment. And so, you know, Brian Flores got done dirty. You know, maybe who knows what could have happened with the Dolphins. Uh, you got Joe Judge. Um, that that was a rough season. So outside of the greatest college quarterback or coach of all time, you know, in Nick Saban, you know, that's that's a little gray area. And, you know, maybe you can make an argument for Brian Flores. You know, maybe if he had a little more time, who knows? Reed easily has a way better coaching tree way better you know teacher of the game he's done it with multiple teams he's had to set it up with totally different quarterbacks he didn't ride one quarterback to victory no he had several ones had a whole system and now that he has you know someone with you know not not hating on all the other guys and you know i think McNabb. i don't i'm not 100 sure but i think he's a hall of famer but someone with generational you know really great talent it's five straight conference championships. Half of the time, more than half of the time, making the Super Bowl, winning his division consistently, which, you know, Belichick did as well. But long story short, yes, Belichick's resume, you know, six to one, it's inarguable. You can't, that's a tough hill to get over. And, you know, Reed is working on it, though, where, you know, hopefully we'll get to be a third of the way there. Who knows what happens the next couple of years? So, yes. Patriots fans, you got that one over us. But when you look at the coaching tree, when you look at the consistency, it's getting closer and closer. And, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, four or five years ago, it would have been crazy to say that this was a reality. But if if he's able to get, you know, two or three more, you know, then it's four to six and four comparison. And then that coaching tree, you know, winning record goes up. Who knows? I, I think Reed is on the path right now. You know, not only do we got Mahomes trying to chase the ghost of uh, Brady, but we got Reed trying to be uh, getting catching up with Belichick. I mean, you mentioned on track is important because the run for both of these guys is going to continue. The run for Andy Reed is going to continue. Belichick seems like he's going to be coaching. And you look at the infrastructure that the Chiefs have put together, the team that's in place. I mean, that's. That's one of the most impressive things that came out of the game against the Bengals and is very important in this matchup against the Eagles is just how good their defense played. I mean, the Eagles defense is obviously stacked. The D-line, we know all the guys that are there. They're all pro bowlers, whatever. But the defense here, and this goes back to the Mahomes contract thing. This goes back to, you know, goes back to what you said about confidence in the team. But this also just goes back to the ability to make moves flexibility as well all this stuff is in play here with the chiefs organization and their infrastructure and you look at the guys on the defense 
I mean, this this defense just in general is crazy young. The guys that are there, I, Chris Jones is obviously the stud. Juan Thornhill at safety is a veteran as well. But Sneed goes down in this game, who's been a good corner for you all year. And Jalen Watson comes in. He's 24. At the linebacker core, Willie Gay is 24. Leo Chanel, 22. Nick Bolton's 22. Brian Cook, the other safety, he's 23. McDuffie, the corner, he's 22. George Karloftis, obviously, he's 21. So everybody, all these guys are starters playing big minutes, impacting play, these playoff games. And these are young guys. These are all guys that are not, we're not really here on the first part of this Mahomes run. Like this is kind of not the defense that was there. This is a new defense that is taking place. And it's crazy that, you know, like we were saying with just all these quarterbacks in general, usually there's a shift out of what your team is from the early part of your career. If you're competitive in the playoffs to when you sign that big contract, what that team looks like in your peak. And this chiefs thing just continues to grow. This organization continues to bring guys in like this. They're kind of just have more talent now than they've had in the past. It's kind of crazy with all the young guys that they have in there. I'm offensively like I, they don't have Tyree kill, but there's just a lot of like really capable weapons to go around. And Andy Reid knows how to use all these guys properly. And you mentioned like, like the, the early Eagles run like this kind of goes underrated now that two times in Andy Reid's career, he has had, I mean, four, he went to four consecutive conference championships with conference championships with the Eagles in the early two thousands. And now two decades later against with, a completely new organization, new guys, completely new, different league as well. Style of play. Football's totally different than it was back then. He's doing it again. Five consecutive conference championships. And you see, I mean, it's not, it's, there's nothing against these guys for having the best quarterback of all time. I mean, we consider, like you said, Belichick, the best coach of all time. He had the best quarterback of all time. And I mean, if these runs are going to continue, Maybe that actually affects how we think of Belichick because you see the organization that he's putting together without Brady right now. There's dysfunction. You mentioned the tree is really like it's starting to show that he doesn't, he might not be able to develop the coaching staff. He's not getting young guys there, you know, and then in turn, player developments down, all this stuff. He's in control of the front office. Front office moves are not being made smart. And Reed is doing everything right in Kansas City. Like I said, this Kansas City thing continues to grow. There's young guys there. They continue to bring guys in. So as these guys' legacies play out, I mean, Reed has the previous run up until this point with Philly, just and with those early Kansas City teams as well of consistent, you know, just this team is going to be top of the league, tough to play. The offense is always going to be firing. And now that it's like, hey, this guy has elite talent that we can compete at the highest level, like, we have the best organization in the league as well. And I think what re reason why Reed has been succeeding, especially nowadays, you know, obviously he has Mahomes, but especially with that defense is that he's an innovator. He's, he's, I mean, his style is a fun guy and yeah, you know, obviously he wouldn't be at this level without having, you know, backbone and knowing when to be serious, but as a, you know, as we see with these state farm commercials and all these guys, I mean, they really love him. And, when you're in, when you have new guys and you have a huge changeover and all this, I mean, you know, it's a lot easier to bring guys on your plan than, you know, Belichick style of coaching, which is definitely a lot more harsh, you know, a lot hard nosed and a little bit more old style. And it'll be really interesting to see 
you know, how Belichick adjusts in these next couple of years with a totally new team, you know, bringing Mac Jones along. And, you know, they're obviously the disparity in talent is huge between the Chiefs and Patriots. It's almost near impossible to, you know, compare the two. But it is an interesting point to note, you know, that the style of coaching might be catching up with Belichick where, you know, you no longer have Brady. You can just smooth it all out. And, you know, it's it's definitely it's going to be an interesting battle to see. But, you know, for now, it's just going to be Reed against his old team. Uh, and hopefully he gets another one, doubles his uh, doubles his rings because he definitely deserves it. And, you know, that was one of the nicest parts of winning that first one is, you know, Reed finally getting one because, you know, there are just so many people around the league who loved him and, you know, who were really impacted by him. And, you know, obviously it was it really it was people had said it had weighed on him that he hadn't had one. So getting two would be even twice as nice as they say. Um Another storyline, the Kelsey brothers playing each other, the first brothers ever in the Super Bowl, current players on opposite teams. You know, don't want to scare you all away, but New Heights pod is with both of them. It's I bet it's blowing up right now, and, you know, I might have to catch up on it. Also, uh, another storyline, uh, the former president for the Eagles um, pick – Reed before he had a resume and also Howie Roseman um for the Eagles. So they're saying a little bit of a banner bowl, but did you have any other storylines you wanted to throw out there? No, the 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 Kelsey brothers thing is underrated. Like you said, the podcast number it's right now, IT says number one on the charts, on the sports charts right now. I think it's been like that all season. And you get Kelsey as the best tight end in the league, Jason Kelsey as I Creed Humphrey has been has had an incredible start to his career, but Jason Kelsey is arguably the best center in the league. Kelsey has gotten the all pro nod, the first team all pro nod the last couple of years. I Creed Humphrey, a pro football focus, all that stuff. You might grade him out better. He might be individually better than Jason Kelsey, but it's close. And Kelsey has the pedigree. He has all that stuff. He gets the nod best center in the league to have the two guys brothers best at their position, but to also have the off field thing as well to start that this season for it to obviously, you know, be as successful as it is. And then for them to have the Super Bowl run, like it's kind of underrated all that stuff coming together. Kelsey brothers, big winners for Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's always fun when you see family in there. Uh, last one I can remember is, you know, John against Jim Harbaugh in that one Super Bowl. That was also interesting, interesting to see. So it's always fun when family's involved. Also what I forgot to mention, it's also historic. Super Bowl, as it's the first two black QBs facing each other. Shout out to that. Also, both from Texas, so Texas history as well. And youngest matchup ever for young QBs. So, really new faces of the league, you know, with Hertz and Mahomes facing off. And also, um, you know, in front of uh, the second place is Joe Mantana against Dan Marino and then Favre against Bledsoe. And then uh, also, you know, people mentioning it's a little bit of the MVP matchup. Um, we'll find out whoever, whoever the MVP is before the Super Bowl. But I kind of wish they delayed it after and just, you know, maybe gave it to the loser, the losing out of the team as a consolation prize. Who knows? But, you know, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting if like one, you know, whoever gets it and then the other team destroys them or something like that. That would be a interesting storyline. But, you know, the. As the next two weeks, there'll be plenty of time to flesh out 
the rest of the storylines as you know they people it takes there's a whole media circus for the super bowl moving on to little bit off season started for all other 20 30 other teams and the core coaching carousel is going around and round the only teams without a coach are your Indy Colts and the Cardinals but everyone else is locked up as DeMarco Ryan's goes to the Texans Frank Reich to the Panthers and Sean Payton to the Broncos, I can't even lie. That does hurt. That does hurt as a Chiefs fan. That's a little worrying. But um, we've we've seen we've seen the AFC West gear up before, and it hasn't worked. So you know we ain't super worried. But it is obviously when you get a Hall of Fame coach in the division, that's 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 still not great. I think Russell Wilson is you know Sean Payton is good play calling, crafty offense away from being competent. I mean Sean Payton was. Outside of D'Amico Ryan's, the number one guy for the job all along, I think D'Amico Ryan's was holding this whole thing up because right after the hiring goes down, all the dominoes fall. Like it happened, right? D'Amico Ryan's obviously the top guy, but they wanted Sean Payton all along. The other thing that comes, Harbaugh stays as well. Harbaugh was the other big candidate. He is now, you know, he said he was in Michigan. They were really flirting with him till the very end, but he is staying in Michigan. And I guess, yeah, do you, is, are the Broncos? this away because this is what they they trade bradley chubb they get assets back for make they make up a little bit for the russell wilson trade at the trade deadline this offseason and they then they flip those assets into sean payton they continue to add assets into this russell wilson thing so i mean we look back already and go is it the worst trade in nfl history they gave up all these picks they signed the contract i mean we're going to look back and go oh they also had to go out and invest in another coach bring in Sean Payton, trade a player, trade away picks, continue to give up assets to invest in a guy that, I mean, yeah, he had the strong finish, obviously, but I mean, for most of the season, he had more touchdowns or more bathrooms in his house than he did touchdowns. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I mean, the team has been kind of a mess and Russell Wilson has been definitely on the decline. And, you know, who knows with Sean Payton? I mean, Drew Brees was his guy. Is is Russell wasn't gonna go with whatever Sean Payton says? You know, is are they is he gonna buy in after this last year? I mean, that defense definitely was one of the better units in the league. So again, I mean, as as the story has always been, it's definitely the offense, and they have the weapons. They got the interesting, you know, they got the pieces, and you know, I wouldn't put it past them, but it's 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 gonna be a rebuilding year. I mean, he's gonna have to bring in his philosophy, bring in his, you know, ideas, and they're they're going to have to find a way to incorporate them. And, you know, it's whether that'll be successful or not. And, you know, we might get into a little bit of the teaching old dog new tricks. And, you know, I'm not a X's and O's guy, so maybe Wilson is used to running a similar offense. But Sean Payton definitely seems to be a, a pretty – a coach who knows what he wants on offense. And – you know, hopefully Wilson listens because this may be his last chance for a serious chance at winning anything, honestly. So um, looking at some of the coaches left um, on the board, it looks like Kellen Moore is also he headed to the AFC West as the L.A. offensive coordinator. Do you want I mean, as a Colts fan, you know, the other guys on the board, do you want either of the Eagles coordinators? 
Um, you know, the defensive coordinator for the Broncos is also on the board. Maybe the enemy, Leslie Frazier. I mean, who, who, who's left that you'd really want? I mean, maybe steal your steal one guy from your one team to the other and steal Harbaugh. Harbaugh is committed to Michigan. I think Denver was the one team that was just going to say, Hey, we're they're throwing the kitchen sink at this whole thing right now. They're throwing money around, throwing picks around. They don't care. They would give Harbaugh the bag that would actually make him want to leave Michigan. The Colts wouldn't do that. The two candidates that I really wanted, not only were they off the table, like hiring, whatever, it just didn't work out. They both were, D'Amico Ryans obviously was the number one candidate. Everybody wanted. He canceled his meeting with the Colts. Ben Johnson was the other guy I wanted, you know, personally for them to get offensive coordinator for the Lions. He interviewed with the Colts and then was like, hey, I'm just going to go back and be the offensive coordinator again under Dan Campbell. So, both of those guys are gone. I the 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 Broncos defensive coordinator, they brought him in for an interview. The New York Giants offensive coordinator, they've interviewed him as well. But they brought in Wink Martindale for two. That's not good. That's not what we want to hear. And you know, I, nobody's been talking about this Bengals DC. His name this Bengals defensive coordinator, his name was def- getting floated around a little bit, you know, over the last week going into the AFC Championship game. People were starting to talk him up, but he's you're not seeing his name floated around in interviews. You're not seeing teams talk to him, but you know, he seems like, you know, obviously he's gotten three three games where he's schemed up good stuff against Pat Mahomes. So seems like an interesting guy, seems like a guy you'd want to talk to. And it's just a bad spot to be in if you're the Colts. You know, the only two teams, like you said, left without coaches right now are the commanders and the Colts and for the Colts to just be sitting right here with them in the off season when it's a time where, Hey, who are the chaos teams right now? Who are the poorly run teams, the owners overstepping their bounds, doing too much. Who are those teams? Well, it might be the Colts and the commanders. Cause these are the only two teams right now that have not gotten in on the head coaching hirings. They've missed out on all the top guys. And you know, the, the Colts are kind of the one team now the Texans were the other, but the Colts are the one team now that don't have anything to really just hang their hat on as an organization. They don't have a quarterback in place and the Texans didn't really have anything, but they brought in D'Amico Ryans and he's really, you know, going to energize that organization. People are excited about that. They go, Hey, at least we have a culture here with this guy. We're bringing him in. We have something we can hang our hat on. The Colts don't have a coach. They don't have a quarterback, but you know, Ursay, I, I guess he's in control. I guess we have to hope in that, but you know, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I hope it's not wink Martindale, but it's just tough that they're one of the last teams. And it seems like all the the breadcrumbs are here. I mean, Chris Ballard, you know, it's been an iffy run, but I think he's probably going to look at this and go, Hey, I might not want to be here long-term as well. The, the, The breadcrumbs of a chaotic organization are in place for the Colts. It's not good. Yeah, it is a little worrying. Um, at least you guys will have a great draft pick, which we'll get into a little bit of later about the QBs moving around. But it looks like the commanders, it looks like they're pretty much going to lock up Ron Rivera. It looks like a high likelihood, like he should be going back there. Um, and it, I think it's the Cardinals are the only other team that don't have anyone because, they, yeah, they got rid of Cliff. So who knows? Um, you know, they, that's... And, you know, to be honest, that that kind of looks like a more enticing job than the Colts. So, you know, it, it might be it might be. A tough I, they have time Kyler. 
Yeah, exactly. Kyler, D Hop. I mean, you know, some studs on defense. So it's 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 definitely going to be an uphill battle for y'all to find someone um, in the next couple in the next couple months. But it's not just a carousel for the coaches. It is also for the most important position on the team. Someone's on the move, Rem. Someone you've been looking at for a very long time, Jimmy Garoppolo. Sounding like it's certain that he will split with the Niners. Free agent. Are you are you are you gonna make a poster, make a sign, like write a letter? Like what what do we need to do to get Jimmy G in the blue and white? Get him to Indianapolis. What what do we gotta do? Cause this might be your guys' best chance, you know. Maybe, you know, you 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 use that draft pick, split it up and, you know, get a little bit more draft capital or that that's the question here. Here, let me let me put the question better. Do you take Jimmy G, break up the draft capital, fill out the rest of the team or what people are saying you guys will do with the third, fourth draft pick somewhere there um, draft pick is you take Bryce Young. You take Jameis Winston, a veteran, some, you know, some dude to help him along, you know, fill out the rest of the team with, you know, some cap space and stuff and build for the future. What 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 do you rather have? Because you guys have had a rough history of bringing in veteran quarterbacks and it not working out. So, so door A, sign, sign, veteran quarterback, trade back, door B, mm-hmm. stay put, take a quarterback. Yep. I, you know. You you said the history of these guys, and it's just the history of the guys that Ballard likes as the quarterback has not been good. The older guy, the guy at the end of his career, I don't know what it is. It because it, it can't be the tape. He can't be watching the Rivers tape the year before on the Chargers. He couldn't have been watching the Matt Ryan tape, the Falcon, the Carson Wentz tape. He couldn't have been watching that stuff and going this is a guy I want to build my team around because none of us were doing it. You know, I don't, and none of us thought those were good quarterbacks and he went out and, you know, gave away, traded a first round pick for Carson Wentz. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Gave up stuff for Matt Ryan, gave Phillip rivers too much money. So the guy that he likes to get is not good. And in the past, Garoppolo would have been a guy I would have loved to have. I'd been the number one, Jimmy Garoppolo defender. I love what he's done in the Niners. His run will forever go down in my heart. It is, again, like I said, the big what if run? What if he stays healthy? What if they get a couple of breaks? What if, I mean, what if, what if they, what if they rush Garoppolo back and he's healthy for this game? There was rumors that he was going to be ready for the Super Bowl. What if he's healthy? What if he's able to come in for Purdy and the Niners somehow pull it out? Can he lead him to the Super Bowl? Like the run will go down as a what if, but I think at this point in his career, and I think where the Colts are as an organization, oh. I don't think Garoppolo is the move. I think the fact that the oh. fact that Bryce Young is an option for a team like the Colts, where I, you know, we'll have the offseason to get into draft stuff, but they were gonna the guys, you know, the mocks, Bryce Young is probably the best player in college football all year. CJ Stroud and Levis are the guys behind him, but Le- Stroud has the Georgia game. He has the size that you want at quarterback, all the ability. Texans have Ryan's now some stability. Maybe you bring in a more NFL-ready guy like that. But the fact that the Colts could get, you know, a a guy that has the magic like Bryce Young to bring him in, they've had success with Manning, had success with Luck. 
the team still has good pieces in place, like Nelson on the offensive line, DeForest Buckner, Shaq Leonard. Like there, there are good players there, but it's not a team that's ready to contend. Like they don't have edge rushers. They just don't have tackle. Like they don't have the key pieces to be a contending roster, but they have good pieces. The problem is the dysfunction at the top, like we said. So bringing in a quarterback that you just go, hey, we can settle down now going in, you know, just looking for the next five, eight, 10 years saying we, we have found our guy. Bryce Young seems like a tempting option. I mean, even if Stroud falls now after that Georgia game, like he's a more tempting option than he was before that game. So I think drafting a quarterback, I think getting younger, I think saying, Hey, we don't have to worry about the year to year veteran washed up play. Cause you're going to get to week, you know, 12, 13, this guy's you're just, and all these guys, they get to the end of the season and they look old because they're old and you need to get younger. I think you need to start looking for the future. I think that's probably what, that's what I'm leaning toward right now. Just the stability. I mean, you see, you see Frank, Wright Like going to Carolina, how is Carolina going to be a more stable organization than the Colts? Like, that's just crazy. That's not something that you could have said a couple years ago. It seemed like they were well run. It seemed like Ballard, they had things under control, but the breadcrumbs of a chaotic organization are there, like we said. And I think stability at the quarterback position is a good way to trend away from that, to get away from that, to try to fix that. And drafting a quarterback, I think is the option I'm leaning toward right now. Wow. Hopefully the Instagram reels camera was on. You just disowned your favorite son, Jimmy G not going to the Colts. I, I thought I'd never hear the day. I, I, I'll still root for him. I'll support him. I think, you know, if he, he probably should honestly just stay on the Niners, that's been a good situation for him. Go back there. You're willing to take the pay cut this year. They Brady's not going to go there. He retired. So just go back. You know, if Purdy has a shaky start, they'll turn to you very, very quickly. You like have the history there. You've proven that you can be, you know, a start. You've proven that you can take this team deep in the playoffs, but I'll still root for him. But, you know, I just don't think that where he's going in his career and where the Colts are going as an organization, I don't think it lines up. That's all. Yeah. I mean, Garoppolo is 31. Um, it will be interesting to see if he does go back because, you know, the the quote the reason why this has come up is because Shannon went asked, bluntly said, no, I don't see a scenario of him starting for the team. So, you know, he definitely knows he's going to be coming off the bench, if at all, playing uh, for the 49ers. And, you know, it, the, the thing is, is that with the Texans at two, you're almost 100 percent sure that they're going to take C.J. Stroud. And with the size of Bryce Young, like you mentioned, the most electric player in college football, but he is a small guy, you know, and there are some liabilities now you do, like you mentioned, you have Quentin Nelson on the O-line. Hopefully, you know, you can get some more pieces around them and, you know, get a really solid O-line, which the Colts have shown, you know, in previous years to have good pass protection. So, you know, maybe it is a good solution for Bryce Young, um, but that has to be you know a little bit of a worry that you know there's a little bit of a liability with getting such a small guy like young um and but it makes sense i mean definitely for your timeline uh pitman's also a younger guy you know he's really started to come on and him with young would be a very interesting pair matchup definitely you you guys need to we've had enough years of veteran guys i bet you've had of seeing you know veteran guys flame out and getting a cornerstone a generational cornerstone would be good for the team like you said, it helps stabilize the team as it's starting to look like it's starting to teeter here a little bit. So 
it, it, it obviously it makes sense, but you know, we, we just had to hear it, you know, you, you, because for so long, you definitely seem like you've been trying to recruit Jimmy G, but you know, time has passed and he's getting there up in age and as, with a guy who was limited in his prime, you know, he's only going to get limited more from now on. I think Frank Wright leaving too, honestly, is part of that because I think Jimmy G is proven under a creative offensive mind, uh, just a guy that can actually put together a good offense. Frank Wright is not Kyle Shanahan, but he is competent. You know, he is a good play caller. And I think Garoppolo could have succeeded in that. I think in the past, just the Colts top to bottom were probably more competitive as well. They've had a lot of, there was a lot of brain drain on Reich's staff. I mean, Sirianni is in the Super Bowl. Like, I, 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 it's on, it's kind of underrated the Colts coordinator run, not to split off for a second, but Arians, I, you go back to the Cardinals days, Arians comes in for Pagano, has the interim run, goes to Arizona, takes that Arizona team to the conference championship. They lose to Cam Newton's Panthers, but they're almost in the Super Bowl. Sirianni comes off a of Reich staff. In a couple seasons, he's got this Eagles team competing in the Super Bowl. It's unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, but you know, now that now that Frank Reich's gone, you know, now that we don't know who the coach is, I think oh, yeah. I think the just the organization in general is just, I think, a less appealing destination for a veteran quarterback looking outside, going, Hey, where do I want to? Because I don't think it's a win now team. So I don't think a guy's gonna go there and say, Hey, I'm gonna go there to compete. So I think weirdly, it's not a tempting spot for a veteran but even if they even if they don't get you know a quarterback in the draft they're kind of in a win-win position anyway in the top four because if if two quarterbacks somehow go in the top four that means one of will anderson or jalen carter are going to be there and both of those guys seem like they are can't miss talents get one of those guys in the d line start the rebuild you know different maybe eagles style rebuild build it around the rosters so you know, I just, it's, it's bad timing. It's unfortunate. I would have loved for it to happen. Obviously J- Jimmy G on the Colts would have been a dream. Maybe it's better that it didn't happen. Maybe Shanahan is just the right, the right match for him. But, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, like Derek Carr, where are they going to go the Derek Carr route this year? Like, I just don't, you know, Aaron, they're not going to trade for Aaron Rodgers, Are they like, that doesn't seem like the right move to make. I just don't, it doesn't feel like, a destination where any of these guys want to go it's it's sad that the organization has come to this yeah no it really is when you look at like four or five years ago you know they were you know considered one of the smartest organizations you know really really bright future and you know um but you know they they couldn't account for losing a generational guy in luck so you know it's as much crap as you want to give them you know it's it's tough to knock them really because of you know, the stuff that they've had to deal with. Um, Rogers is obviously the, you know, big, huge white whale in this QB market. Um, you know, there's some teams are really going to have to line up to get them. But, you know, besides him, this free agent class, you know, pretty, pretty mid with Geno Smith, Wentz, Winston, Ryan, and uh, uh, Mariota. But um, looking at some teams locking up their guys as we guessed, or I guess, I don't know if you had mentioned too, but um, it looks like the Ravens are going to put the franchise tag on Lamar Jackson. I did suspect that it was going to go this way. Um, paying him $32.4 million. And it is interesting that, you know, they've had two years to negotiate it. 
And, you know, it's obvious the Ravens are better with him, you know, with a 70% win rate or win, winning percentage with him and four and nine without him, including the playoffs. So it, it looks like it looks like they're going to tag him and bring him back. And uh, looks like the Giants are also going to extend Daniel Jones, um, which is not surprising. Um, and if they, if they can finally get that long-term deal done, then they look like they'll probably tag Barkley. So not, not really too surprising stuff, but it will be interesting with Lamar because, you know, that kind of just pushes it off the whole issue to another year. And I don't know, it just, you know, for these quarterbacks, it seems a lot of the time, you know, the organization can get it done pretty quick. You know, one of the one either the team or the quarterback are at a disadvantage, you know, in terms of, you know, whether the team, you know, it's so obvious that they have to sign this guy or from the quarterback that, you know, he kind of has to take whatever deal comes to him. And, you know, with Lamar and Ravens, it's kind of an interesting situation where they're both kind of on equal ground where it's obvious they're better with Lamar, excuse me, but the Ravens have to cater so much to him and changed so much for him and they already are depleted without this huge contract on the books and it's going to be even harder to help him out with um whatever how much he's asking for so i i don't i mean i kind of wanted them to trade him or you know find a way to you know even if they had to release him just find a way to resolve it this offseason but it seems like they're just putting it off till next season or next offseason and it felt like you could just feel that cloud hanging over the performances that they had all year as well. You could see it on the field. I don't, you know, Lamar, that team was still top of the AFC when Lamar was in there. And Lamar's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but it just felt like watching it around. You could see the sort of, the sort of, I'm not paid long-term yet vibe to his game that he has when he's running around. And a lot of that's safety longevity. I get that, but is there mindset stuff that's affected there? You know, you just have lots of question marks. You don't know. Felt like it spewed onto the field. Felt like, you know, with the injury stuff, you know, what's what's really happening there? What's the timeline with all that? And could he really have come? Like, you, There's just a lot of questions floating around. And you said what you said, the fact that it's not resolved is the best point here. Because if if they just have that cloud going into the season again next year, like this is that's not going to be a Super Bowl team. You're you're better having Lamar. Lamar's an MVP caliber quarterback. He is one of the most popular players in the league as well. I mean, you get everybody's going to wear the Lamar Jackson jersey. Everybody has a Ravens jersey on. I'm sure that's part of it. But on the field, like, I mean, you've talked about, you know, with Huntley and, you know, it. you, you don't want to just let Lamar walk, but why franchise tag him and do it again next year and not, invest in the team around him like you said a team that's kind of honestly you look at this offense the weapons are depleted mark andrews is there but they don't have anything at receiver they're missing some stuff on defense like why go unresolved into next year when you have an opportunity to you cut bait could you bring huntley back could you start reinvesting in an organization that's been good at bringing in talent would they be better off just not signing lamar under the franchise tag letting it walk just ending it all this offseason getting it over with because I don't think that cloud hanging over them again next year is going to help. 
No, for sure. And, you know, I think for this next season, obviously they're going to have a higher win total because they have Lamar Jackson on the roster. I mean, yeah, I don't think yeah. we're questioning that. But I think definitely for the long term, it's it's going to leave scars if they keep doing this. And it, they've had two years to figure this out. And at some point, some some part got to give. And the Ravens have been shown to be a proud team, um, especially you've seen with John Harbaugh. He's set in his ways. He's not, you know, he's not a guy who's really flexible. And Lamar Jackson has shown to be also a stubborn guy. I mean, his whole career, he's kind of had to be, you know, with people been saying, you know, all his years that, you know, he should be a wide receiver trying to move him around and him forcing his way, you know, because of his stubbornness, that's what's gotten him to the league. So it's kind of, you know, an immovable object meeting a unstoppable force right now. And it's it's not going to be pretty because at some point you I mean you can't keep tagging them every year, and because that that cost just gets absorbent and it they just have to probably cut him cut him loose and you know that brings us you know to an interesting point they got a Pro Bowl quarterback on their right I can't even say it with a serious face but Mahomes is in the Super Bowl. Josh Allen is injured and Joe Burrow, you know, I guess they have load management now in the NFL, but excuse the absence. And, you know, after such a tough loss, I wouldn't want to party it up in Hawaii either, you know, maybe a little bit later, but they got Trevor Lawrence, Derek Carr and Tyler Huntley replacing them. And, you know, this is a quick aside. Huntley is actually not the worst quarterback ever selected to the a Pro Bowl, not the worst player ever. Quick Google search shows up. Mike Broyla, 1975 Philly Eagles QB. And compared to the stats, Huntley uh, completed 67% of his passes. Uh, yikes. But Broyla did 52.4. Huntley had a .67 to one touchdown interception ratio. <laughs> Uh, Broyla had 0.5, and Huntley, his one starring stat, had 22.8 yards per game. That's how many he rushed for, and Broyla was 4.7. So, you know, sure, it's not it's not like, you know, modern-day offenses, obviously slower, but it's still a yikes. I mean, he didn't even uh, – uh, Broyla was a backup, didn't even play enough games to qualify for a season-ending efficiency stat leaderboards. And even if he did qualify, he was intercepted on 7.2% of of his dropbacks, which would have been the third highest in the league. Also the third worst adjusted yards per attempt. So, you know, before we all say he's the worst, no, there is worse. You know, I thank God for whatever writer went through the annals of history to find that one because, yeah, but – long story short, you know, yes, we only is a pro bowl quarterback, but not actually, but, but, you know, that it go going back to the Lamar uh, conversation, you know, it's, it, it's going to be a franchise kind of history moment for them for, for kind of a divot in the road between which path they go through of whether caving to Lamar, taking him or, or giving him up. And, you know, if I'm the Ravens, I personally would have gotten this done deal done a while ago. Just give him the bag. You can't just walk out and get another Lamar. But 
you know, if you're going to drag it out like this, just just cut it off and keep it going, man. Like, you can't keep dragging it out because, I mean, so much of with guys putting their life on the line, I mean, uh, in the NFL, so much of it is emotional. And if you don't know who your leader is or you don't know if he's going to be there for more than one year, if he's really invested in the team, if you can really trust him, I mean, is he only here for money? You know, you get it's all mixed messages. When you have all that going on, I mean that that's just gonna mess with guys' psyche because they're human beings, and you know it's it's just how it is. So it's they're only hurting themselves, and they got to They got to figure this out. I mean, Hundley might be. I mean, Derek Carr might be a worse Pro Bowler than Hundley. Derek Carr's probably not a worse quarterback than Hundley, but Derek Carr's not even on the team. He left the Raiders. You know, the last couple games of the season, he got kicked off the team. Now all of a sudden, he's in the Pro Bowl. So this is what the Pro Bowl has come to. It is what it is. You know, uh, the hope is that these players, you know, Tyler Hundley, you have an opportunity to be in the Pro Bowl. Derek Carr, you have an opportunity to play quarterback again. Take it seriously. Put on a show for the fans. It's flag football now. There's games. It's just a fun event. Like, Put it serious. Yeah, have fun football. on it. Give the fans a good time. Like, don't, don't be lazy. The problem with the Pro Bowl was there was just, there was no effort on it. The game was not being played. You know, there was just, nobody was trying. So, They've made it fun now. Play it, have fun, have games. So, you know, Derek Hart, come on. Like, can, is there not another quarterback that's like on an active roster that couldn't have been in the Pro Bowl? I guess Herbert is probably going to sit out. Yeah, where's Mac Jones? Where's Billy Zappi? Let's let, yeah, let's quickly look at AFC quarterbacks who could have been there. But yeah, it, Mac Jones is one. I guess Tua's not going to play in that game. Yeah, he's hurt. Uh, probably. I don't know. He feels like forever hurt. Like what? Justin Herbert? Herbert couldn't have played? Herbert's Herbert's on vacation. Was he hurt? He's too good. I mean, like, Herbert, they really couldn't call up Herbert? Like, that's that's probably the real snub. We'll get into a little bit of later snub. That's probably the real snub. Herbert not in the Pro Bowl is kind of wild. When you have Tyler Huntley. LA's put him in, like, honorary, and then replace him with Huntley or something like that. Is Trevor Lawrence too good to be in the Pro Bowl? That's the new take. <laughs> it's starting to get like the dunk contest, you know. It's just don't just uh everyone is too cool for it anymore and all that. But um I, we've had a lot of quarterback talk and but we gotta mention one more Tom Brady retiring again. You know, it was kind of funny in his video. He's like, I already did the emotional goodbye ones, you know. I can't really do it again. I still remember, I mean. You know, I, I work in news and last year when he announced it, every single station was on it. You know, it was all over the place. Tom Brady's retiring and it's like psych him back, you know, but it, it feels legit this time with the losing record, you know, him getting older, you know, he found a new girlfriend who knows he's, he's, he's got, he's got his stuff figured out. So I, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it looks like, uh, it's time for, you know, what is right now the goat, you know, I'll admit, you know, Mahomes is working on it, but he is the goat. Um, you know, it, it looks like it's, it's time to retire. Finally gone officially. And, you know, I, we mentioned it, it just, it feels like the league passed him by. There wasn't a spot for him to go. I don't remember who it was that tweeted out. It might've been Schefter might've been somebody else. Sorry if that's not the right source, but Basically, it was, you know, if he was going to play anywhere besides Tampa, it was going to be in Miami. Miami committed to Tua. And at that point, it was like, hey, you know, there's really nowhere else for me to go. It's done. But obviously, the GOAT, we did all the retirement stuff last year. Like I said, we used up the letter. 
everybody used up their speed. It kind of feels that way too, honestly. Just everybody's like, oh yeah, you know, Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, is retired, is what it is. But you know, shout out to the goat. I guess it'll be it'll be interesting to see going forward. Maybe we'll do off-season conversations about what Mahomes has to do to catch him because I the 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 decade long run between the Super Bowl things, like we mentioned earlier, is just it's crazy that you have the two careers and then the career in between the career, like three Super Bowls age out, you know, like we said, don't really get back, get close, stay competitive. Don't win again. That's the career that most guys have. And then to just rediscover this, just science health stuff, get your body in shape, figure out this longevity stuff, push it to get more Super Bowls in the back half of your career than you did in the front half of your career is crazy Four Super Bowls. From 30, I mean, the best five years of his career were those last couple of years in New England, first couple of years in Tampa. He was automatic. He was awesome. So just the longevity, all that stuff. He's the greatest. I don't think we'll have to do this again. Seems official this time. Hopefully he's not pulling our legs. So shout out to the goat. Yeah. Yeah, no, hopefully, hopefully they'll, um, you know, it'll be done for good. And um, it so is our part of the pot about the NFL. We've got to work through. I mean, it's the NFL's high point, so it totally makes sense. But we still got to throw in some NBA, and the reserves haven't been announced yet for the All-Star. But, you know, I still wanted to talk about it a little bit, look at it a little bit, because there was a big omission from the All-Star starters. Um, So quick overview, though, who are the starters in the East? We got Kevin Durant, Kyrie. Giannis, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum. And then in the from West players, we got Curry, Doncic, LeBron James with a, I think it is a record of 19 all-star games. I, I don't know. I know it's definitely up there. Jokic and Zion Williamson. This year, um, the coaches for the two teams, of course, the when I have Joe Missoula, the staff will coach team Giannis and then, um, the Denver just needs to win one or two more games. And Mike Malone will be the first time coaching. Both of them, obviously, will be the first time all-star coaches, which is interesting. Missoula, in his rookie year as a coach, coaching the all-star team, you know, that's that's kind of fun to see. And uh, this year, a little different. Still drafts, but this year, it'll be a little playground draft. They'll look at them, be picking right there, which I kind of don't like because I do. You know, it's one of those little NBA things, but I do like to see a little bit of those team practices, all-star team practices, you know, when they get to Josh around, you know, that's when the real recruiting happens. You know, guys are trying to recruit to their teams. There's jokes or stuff like that. But, you know, I guess though, I guess it will be also interesting, you know, when LeBron has to pick someone over someone and someone says something, that'd be, That'll be funny if he if he picks like Katie over Kyrie and someone says something. Who knows? Who knows? Um, seeing their reaction there will be interesting. But the biggest snub from the All Star starters isn't Jalen Brown, isn't John Morant, isn't even Demontis Sabonis. I can't believe Laurie Marketing's on this list, even though he's been playing great. Joel Embiid. <laughs> Joel Embiid. Uh, is obviously not on this list, and I'm I'm kind of surprised. I mean, you know, I I could see you know a world where you put Tatum at shooting guard, 
you just move everyone up and you put Joel Embiid at center. But I guess you have to do the one through five rules with this. I mean, it's still kind of head scratching. You know, I get, I guess the question was either Giannis or Embiid, but you know, Embiid obviously took his anger out on Jokic the day after 42 destroyed him, but it was, was weird to not see Embiid, you know, one of the MVP candidates probably not be in the stars. So, I mean, as unfortunate as it is, I mean, we did the Durant praise with the midseason All-NBA stuff. There Maybe there was a case at that point for him to be on first team with offensively the numbers that he was putting up. I mean, that 20-game stretch he had was just crazy. Don't forget how good Kevin Durant played this year. But you kind of get a free pass with the whole thing. He's injured. And, I mean, positionally, this team, I mean, Embiid's like leading the league in scoring. He's a center. You can't just go Embiid, Giannis, Tatum. Go Durant, I mean, miss games. He's injured at this point, and he's not, he wouldn't even really, you know, play in the all star game probably with that injury, anyways. So you kind of, it feels like you get a free pass with the Durant thing to just slide Embiid in there, anyways, because I, you get the second, probably the guy that's second right now, MVP candidate, leading the league in scoring. He, he's one of the five best players in the conference. You have to find a way to make a, put him on the team. I, I, you, I guess the same thing with Durant and Tatum. So neither of us are in favor of going just, Hey, should they just put five all-star starters regardless of position? Are are you? I'm in favor. Yeah. I'm there. I I am so much. If if you you do it, I'll do it. So much on that Island. I'm trying to buy as much land on that Island of a take because I just, I mean, it's where the league's going. I mean, with guys with guys getting drafted taller and taller, like, you know, I just want to see the five best players out there. And if that's five wings or, you know, four and a half wings, I'm I'm totally in it. And especially for the all-star versus all NBA. All NBA is a snapshot of the league that year. It's more prestigious. It's you know, you want that to make sense as a basketball team. You want positions to matter. I think you need a center on there, but yeah, I mean, for the all-star game, that is a fun game for the fans. I Why not just go best five? Who, who are the guards? Mitchell? Kyrie? I mean, those guys, I you could argue the best guards in the conference, but neither of those guys are one of the five best guys in the conference. So, yeah, I mean, if you're in favor of it, I'm in favor of it. And, and it makes sense for a game that is meaningless, right? To just go, hey, why not? Why not have Embiid? Giannis, Durant, Tatum as four of the five guys in that lineup. No, for sure. And I think all NBA, it's tied with money. So, you know, for equity's sake, it makes it makes sense. You got to have, you know, an actual one through five. But for All-Star, like, it literally doesn't matter. I mean, they tinker with it all the time. And we just want to see the best guys out there. And the funniest part is, at the end of the game, they're just going to put them out there anyway. I mean, when you watch all these games, they always That's true. That's true. There. I mean, they all know who's who. Like, you know, they at the end of the day, they know who's the best. So it's it, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, it just had to be a little outrage. And it looks like LeBron is tied with Kareem for the most all-star um, selections at 19. I don't know. It said appearances at 18. So maybe if he appears in this game, he gets the record. Who knows? But True. chances are he'll be in it next year. Yeah, there's no way he's not gonna get it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think if he sat on the bench all year long, he'd still get on the reserve somehow. So who would be the fifth guy then in the East? Because I think we both agree, and I think the basketball community unanimously agrees that those mm-hmm. would be the four guys. 
in the East. But Tatum, Giannis, uh, Katie, and um, Yo or Embiid, right? Yes, yes. So who do we have at number five? Yeah, I mean we could throw Mitchell in there over Kyrie. I mean Kyrie has been in and out, and Mitchell's been definitely more consistent for the Cavs. He's been also a little injured, but Jalen Brown seventy one points is a lot. Jalen, I mean, if we're just um, the thing is, we're just throwing positions out, so it's just straight up versus straight up. Donovan Mitchell versus Jalen Brown, straight up. That's that's a tough that's a tough tough question. Let's look here at uh, Mitchell stats. Uh, twenty-seven, three, pretty much four and five. It's definitely harder to put number two options on the list, you know, just because of what he has. What he's meant for Cleveland, um, in Donovan Mitchell. The last couple of games he's been in and out. Actually, yeah, he hasn't been great. You know, yeah, that little run obviously in the middle of December, where he's starting to pop off. But you know, I, I can see the argument definitely for Jalen Brown over him. You know, I don't. I just I'm not really a fan of having two from one team in the starting lineup. Usually, like to have some variety. Um, but you know, I, I, I mean, you know, 2k style, I, I totally understand throwing him in there, you know, you know, it definitely, he definitely his two wayness, the way he's been with keeping, you know, <laughs> keeping the floor of the Celtics up when Tatum just drops and when his production just, you know, has the divots in the mountains, um, he definitely keeps that team from falling too low. So yeah, I could definitely see, you know, um, see, Jalen Brown get in that that fifth spot, but Embiid should be in there regardless. And um, you know, I don't I don't think John Morant should really be in the West. I don't I don't know. Let me I I don't know where that snubs went, but you know, I don't I think I think besides Jalen Brown, I think they got it right. The five then for the the West would be what Jokic, Doncic, Steph, those three for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, Jokic, Doncic, Steph. Oh, John. Um, I'm fine with LeBron there too. LeBron, yeah, yeah, LeBron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you could put John Moran over Zion. I mean, Zion's just not played consistently this year. Um, job or Shea? I could definitely see that argument. Shea? <laughs> oh my goodness, Shea Gilgis. I mean, if you want to get trendy, you could. Thirty points a game. You can make a case, anyways. You really could. Yeah, Tyrese Halliburton on the on the East. And I see some people mad about that too. Yeah, people are not happy with Zion in there. Maybe Demontis over. I could see. I mean, I could see someone make an argument for Sabonis. You know, not really marketing, but Sabonis over Zion. Um, just you know, in terms of just being there, um, playing. But you know, All Star is for the stars, and you know we love Sabonis, but Zion is a different level of star. And, you know, also the Rising Star Challenge players came out. They got some G League guys in there. So it'll be nice to see Scoot Henderson against NBA players. You know, they got some other guys in there, too. And um, I think Paulo will be playing it as well. Some interesting second-year guys, too. Jose Alvarado, considered a sophomore. They got Mobley, Barnes. I mean, this second-year team is pretty tough. I mean, they got, you know, Trey Murphy, Barnes, Giddy, Green, Sangoon. Bones Highland, Mobley, and Wagner. I mean, you know, it's it's your your boy Sohan though is also on the rookie class team. So it, it, I think it's gonna be a solid game. But yeah, it's it's gonna be fun to watch all those sophomores together. Just 
I mean, it just points to the talent, young talent in the league. Yeah, but th- they got so hand on that freshman team, though. All right, all right, all right. I don't know about it. I mean, A.J. Griffin, Walker Kessler. I mean, Ben Ben Matherin has been good this year, though. Is Scoot, Scoot's on the freshman team, I'm guessing, right? I don't I don't know how they're going to split them. The 21 – oh, yeah, the 21 players will be drafted into three seven-player teams. Uh, Paul Gasol, Joe Kim Noah, and Deron Williams will serve as coaches for these teams. And then I guess – oh, so there's a separate G League team – They'll be coached by Jason Terry. Oh, that's right. They do the new so, three-team setup now. And then, yeah. So, and then all four of them will play semifinals. And then they'll do an uh, antebellum um, game where they'll go to 40. And then the two winners will play to 25. So, pretty pretty quick games. I mean, the G League team, you know, you got Henderson, Kenneth Lofton Jr., Mac McClung. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe, but the sophomores should dominate. I mean, whoever has the most sophomores, who knows? I do like the idea of mixing them because I think the sophomore team would absolutely obliterate all three of these. I think, guys, I mean, it's not even close. I think you pair Sohan with Sohan, Scotty Barnes, and then one other, like, big distributor. That's a heck of a team. Giddy? Yeah. That team's moving the ball. I, I just can't wait to see Sangoon cooking. Kids How many players are on the team? Could they get Sangoon yeah. there too? Seven players. We'll have to see who's drafted them. I'm not gonna lie. Which which draft is more interesting, the All Star or the Rising Star Challenge? Look at this Rising Star Challenge. Honestly, just in terms of the draft mattering. Exactly. Like, you know, you know, you don't know what these players could be like together. You know. All-star team is pretty much USA basketball with some international players added, you know, some, we need, we'll, we'll have to draft um, our own teams at yeah. some point. I know we'll, we'll have to do the draft. Once the reserves come out, we can do our drafts or big, big redraft redraft. When, wait, when it, do you know when they're releasing the rest of it? Maybe we could do it. Next I don't week know. I, I teal. We could, we could, we could get, we could get it on it. It's I think next week is the, is the trade deadline as well. There's, there is not, there's not a, a lot going on in the NBA right now. Uh, Storyline wise, the trade deadline's been kind of quiet. There's the games have been exciting. Obviously, there's stuff going on, but this has yeah. been like a really super quiet dra- trade deadline, quieter than normal. Especially the last couple years when it seems like we've been having these like big swings. You know, player movements obviously at an all time high, but teams willing to give up assets for a player is at an all time high. Like teams are throwing picks around, but. This year, the rumor mill is quiet. It doesn't seem like there's any stars like being floated around out there. So, I mean, you know, we're all, I've definitely done work on the trade machine. Like, there are still like some names, but it's Cam Reddish. It's guys that are, it's just not, there's no like high level star guys' names being floated out there right now for the trades. And we talked about, a, we, we talked about this a little bit in the offseason, but why, like, why this season do we think, that could be because I in the offseason, the thought was when Benyan is coming, these teams want to prop themselves up. They, they, they're not wanting to touch their assets because everybody wants to get their hands on when Benyana. So like, well, they'll do whatever it takes. If they're tanking, they're not trading their picks. They want to acquire this guy. So teams are just kind of set right now. They don't want to touch what they're doing, but is there like, like what is the reason for this? Like, quieter deadline because the league's also deeper now than ever there's more talent to go around maybe the teams just don't need to make the moves like 
The rosters are just deeper. The Wen Benyana thing's hanging over the league. But why is the rumor mill just this year in particular seems so quiet the normal? I, I mean, I think a lot of teams are pretty set on who they have. I mean, if you look at the top teams, like the Warriors, they're not really going to make a trade. I mean, maybe with Wiseman, they were talking about it. But they know that their team can win a championship. I mean, they're reigning defending champs. So, you know, they 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 like who they got. They kind of want to develop the guys they have. That's our whole philosophy. Denver, for once, is finally healthy. You know, just quickly blitzing through the rest of the standings as I load them up here. The Grizzlies, you know, they've had their talent for a little bit. They want to really get their guys together. The Kings just got... You know, DeMonte Sabonis, they've just started figuring stuff out, so it doesn't really make sense to add another piece. You know, the Clippers, who knows what's going on. And, I mean, the only team that really makes sense to make a trade is the Mavs. Um, you know, the Suns, they're a mess. And the Timberwolves, they've made their big thing over the – and the Jazz, who are right behind them. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the Jazz, are right behind them. They also did their big thing, and the Pelicans just need healthy. So, a lot of them just need healthy guys. I mean – and that was the thing. That was the one storyline through the, you know, the trade deadline is that the Mavs said we need someone here. Um, and they were kind of the only ones who hadn't done anything. And it kind of made sense that they need someone because they got rid of Jalen Brown or not Jalen Brown, uh, Jalen uh, Brunson. So, you know, they will see if they make a trade. I highly doubt it, you know, and I, I was kind of surprised the Lakers made a trade too. They're at 13th right now, but with LeBron and AD healthy, they should rise up here and leapfrog some other teams. And, you know, you look at the East, too. You know, the Celtics are fine with what they got. They made it to the finals. The Bucks again, health, 76ers. You know, their dysfunction has been long shown for a while. So I think they're just happy that, for once, they have a team that's not mad at each other. The Nets, you know, again, same thing. Uh, the Cavs, again, made their big season. So, I mean, you really go down the line, and everyone's either made their big move, you know, like the Hawks. Um, the heat, the heat would be an interesting, and I, I think, I think if the Mavs want to make a trade, I think the heat would be an interesting team to look at. Do the heat really want to stay competitive? You know, maybe if the Mavs are able to package, you know, throw a couple picks, maybe snag Tyler hero, you know, Robinson, you know, I don't, I don't know if they have enough for Bam out of bio, but it would be, it would be. I think the Heat are the are the only other team they could really look at to make a trade with the Haspies. Maybe the Bulls too, actually, if they're willing to get rid of Zach Levine or Demar Derozan. Um, but yeah, a lot of the teams either they're really young with enough talent that they don't really need to make a trade, or they already made a trade over the offseason, or both. There's you know, and they you know a lot of them are dealing with injuries, so it doesn't make sense to trade. So I think I think I mean you just look at the teams and it just. Just kind of is how it is, you know. And I think, I think you laying it out really helps visualize it. But the league, just the last, you know, the last like decade now, going back to 2012, going back, I 2012, I think was LeBron's second title. So 2011, I think was the decision off season that first year in the Mavs or the first year on the Heat, they lose to the Mavs in the finals, whatever. But going back to that off season. The concept of how you build a team, the teams that won the title as well, like, you know, the dominant teams we've had the last decade are these super teams, LeBron, Wade, Bosch. You get, you know, LeBron goes back to Cleveland and right after that, you get the Warriors emerge. Durant joins the Warriors. You get that super team. They're there for the next couple of years. You know, things start to form. The Warriors are even back again this year. It turns out, you know, Steph is obviously just an all-time guy, but 
there are super teams there. And just a decade of that kind of distorts, you know, your mindset of how to build a team. And yet the Web and Yana thing, all that, their teams might want to sit on their assets, but the super team craze is over now. And it seems like teams are migrating back toward just the more traditional, hey, we actually have to build a basketball team here. We need young guys. We need a culture. We need depth. You know, like, like you mentioned, all those teams are teams that are built from the ground up. The Celtics in the finals last year, they're on top of the Eastern Conference. The Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Nuggets. I mean, you trade for Aaron Gordon, but draft Jokic, draft Murray, draft Porter. The Warriors, most outside of the Durant run, now that Durant's gone, I mean, they're established with the guys that they drafted before, obviously with the legend Steph, but the young guys that they brought in, the veterans that they've, the role guys that they've used to fill out, all these teams are built from the ground up. They're traditional, like, hey, we need to build smart basketball teams. It's just like, this is what basketball actually is. This is what team building actually it, 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 And I just don't think that, you know, Moving everything for star players, I just don't think is as tempting as it was going back. I mean, you look at what the Lakers are kind of like the last version of this with LeBron and Davis and then trying to overpay to bring in Westbrook. We need a third star. We need another big name now. I just don't think teams are as tempted by that anymore. I think smarter long term, like the Celtics being a model and just all these young teams at the top being like these just long-term developmental projects versus, Hey, let's throw these superstars together. Let's do everything we can to acquire, you know, guys with all-star appearances, all NBA appearances, guys that are, are, you know, obviously these super teams work, but just everybody in the league trying to do it. It doesn't work out that way. You have to have LeBron and Durant and these top guys to make it work. And it seems like that just traditional team building is honestly the trend. And it seems like these teams may be smarter and, giving up all these assets for these star players. And, you know, you see when they're not, when they're brought in and not really drafted, but, you know, literally bought in, um, it looks like, you know, a lot of them don't have as much commitment to the team um, because they've been only there a couple of years. I mean, you know, you have that situation with LA Clippers, you know, where you barely have Kawhi and Paul George playing. They're in and out, you know, kind of hurt. And then you look at the Trailblazers, you know, they're while their players are playing, you know, they keep trying to just add and add and add more, you know, not superstar guys, but try to keep adding to the team. And it's not really pushing them forward. And it's because of the chemistry. It's not really working out for them. And then in the East, um, you got a situation with like the Bulls, who they bought and got enough players to be a solid team for a little bit. But, you know, they don't really have that, you know, growth together, really that built-in kind of chemistry and toughness. And you can see them starting to suffer now where they've spent all these draft picks, they've spent all these assets, all these contracts, and they're stuck. They're stuck. And, you know, that's that's what happens when, you you know, you, you go out and spend extra for those guys because now the price is so premium for even solid players. I mean – Yes, the Knicks were in a race all by themselves for Brunson, but that was a lot for him. The price, you know, Rudy Gobert trade, that was really pricey as well. Um, So with the price of the superstar going higher and higher, it makes less and less sense to, you know, go out and get one when you don't even know if he's going to stay there uh, three or four years. And it just it just makes more sense to develop your guys and you're able to develop a core around him 
decent players out of the draft. I mean, the draft has shown that it continues to crank out um, great quality players. And like you mentioned, it, it just doesn't make sense anymore to go out and get players. And especially with a league that, is continuing to get more and more young talent, like we just mentioned. I mean, it's if you're good at scouting, most of the players in the top 20 are now showing to be solid guys, and the league's just getting harder and harder. So the difference between those top guys and the decent guys, are it's getting smaller. So uh, I definitely, I mean, in the past, when you had those superstar, you know, over everyone, and, you know, if you didn't have them, you're out kind of ordeal. I think, I think those days are gone, and, with and you know maybe this is for the league to expand so that you know they can it can spread out the town a little more but for now i mean every team has two or three players that you know a couple you know 10 years ago anyone would trade for and like you said all those teams that have made the big trade since since durant has left the warriors all the teams that have gone in on superstars via trades have not really worked out as basketball situations the clippers the bulls and Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn up until this year, Brooklyn post pre this year was that dysfunctional. We gave up everything. We gave up too much. What do we do now this year? It's like, Hey, Claxton, a guy that we drafted and developed has emerged as a legitimate piece. They brought in smart role players. They're acting like a functional organization. Now they've turned around. It's working. Their superstars are gelling. Everything's starting to work together. But I mean, look at the Sixers, the Sixers, you know, they're giving up too much for Harden. They're trying to collect stars and Maury's all about having these stars and stuff. And it's like, this is just not working. This is not where the league is at anymore. You need the depth. You need the young talent. And like is it? you can just get these guys. I mean, the, the league is deep. You can get the stars of the draft, but the, the, the guys you're getting at the end of the first round now, like these guys are getting on and they're contributing and like being like real role guys. And some of the guys like Keldon Johnson, the Spurs got him 19 and he might be more than just a role guy. Like he might actually be, a 20 point a game score two way type guy. Like they've gotten some nice pieces. There's just talent everywhere. So, and even, even this off season too, like the go bear trade, the Murray trade, like these teams as well. Like they're, they're just, they're, they're underperforming. Like the, the Timberwolves, they're so close. Towns might not be who he is, might not be the star that you want him to be, but Edwards is emerging. You haven't given up too much to get those guys. Those are draft picks, but you overpay for go bear. Same with Atlanta. Seem like an organization that, you know, they overachieved, got to the Eastern Conference Finals, but gave up too much for Murray. And now it's kind of like in a place where, uh, where do we go from here? So I, I, and you're right. The, the price, like Beal, like the guys like that, like it's just guys that teams would have overpaid for, I think, in a previous offseason. I think a team would have swooped in and given up the picks for Beal. Maybe even a guy like Carl Towns, the Wolves, the Timberwolves are floating around. Like, I think it's just easier for the Mavs to swoop in and just give away. I think teams are like, oh, yeah, will you give us four role players and your three picks for whatever we'll do? I just it's easier to get a move like that done. I just it doesn't seem to be like anything like that is materializing. Hachimura so far has been the biggest deal, and it's Kendrick Nunn in second round picks. Cam Reddish is the biggest name on the market. So you're right. The, the price is too high. I don't know if it makes sense. And I think. It just, you know, this fundamental stuff in basketball that always wins out, it just proves time and time again that this is this is this is the stuff that works. Yeah, it is. It always has been. And, you know, it's just it was a little we had a little sugar rush there with all these super high teams. You know, the Warriors had their God squad, but 
now we're back to normal, back to your regularly scheduled programming. And that's kind of how it's run. And I think Timberwolves are a great example of, you know, bringing in a guy and it messing everything up. Because when you look at Anthony Edwards' stats, his uh, without Carl Anthony Towns and Gobert on the floor, I mean, he really is above and beyond, like a really great scorer. And um, I, I think that's a big conundrum for them because now it's like, well, like we spent all this for Gobert. What do we do now? So it, it, it's going to be a tough, tough uh, road for them in the future um, as they as they figure it out. And, you know, the Cavs, even though they traded for Mitchell, they already had young guys there. They already had um, some interesting identity. You know, they they made a solid, you know, playoff run without him. So, you know, they already gelled a bit and they didn't give up any big pieces to get him. And um, he's, he's just fitting in. So. It's definitely, it still still holds out, but look it over the ocean on the other side and a little English hamlet, the fifth league. So the fifth uh, level league, there's a little team called Wrexham and um, trust me, I haven't heard of it either. And the only reason why it's in the news is a certain owner, Ryan Reynolds, Decided to go over the pond, visit his guys. They get a 3-3 tie against a team that's a couple divisions up. Um, you know, ESPN does their whole stuff. But it's I, I thought it was really interesting just, you know, having an actor really change the history of a team, you know, which, you know, not a historic team. You know, no one, no one knows who really Wrexham is. But... You know, it, I, a co-owner with uh, McClaney, um, and, you know, no one would have heard it, Rob McClaney, and no one would have really heard of this team, but it looks like, you know, he wants to make some signings. He's really pushing to put in the Premier League, and who knows? It might be a, a little bit under a decade before that happens, but, you know, I, I just thought it was interesting seeing, you know, Ryan Reynolds um, in a different light, being a face of a team. And you were saying we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but I he, he's like him and uh, McElhaney, always sunny in Philly. Shout out! They like fully own the team. Like these guys yeah. are in control. They have like actual decision making power in what's going on in this organization. Is Ryan Reynolds Jim yeah. Ursay? I mean, he, he could go in and just fire someone. I mean, he, he's the man. He's the man. Um, yeah, fifth tier of. Soccer, uh, English football league. And yeah, they're, you know, right now it looks like they're about to be promoted to the fourth division. So they're making the march upwards. You know, it's, uh, it's a steady march. And, you know, I, it's always great to see more publicity here in America giving a football. And, um, you know, it's fun to see Ron Reynolds in it. I've never seen him before with soccer stuff. I knew, I think I've, I've heard of him owning a team, but. Yeah, it was a nice little, nice little. He did a whole little interviews, the whole media tour, gave ESPN their little, little thing. But yeah, it was kind of, kind of funny. It's just you know the the thumbnails for the highlights of the team is Brian Reynolds and not the team. <laughs> it's just funny. Is there, is there a business for us in this? Because this feels like it's becoming more popular with celebrities like buying these sports teams. I mean, Reynolds is a soccer team, you know. Premier League opportunity, whatever, it's legit. But, you know, Mahomes, I think he's dabbled in the Royals. He's also dabbled in, like, the pickleball teams. You know, the, the, these guys are putting their money in sports teams, and 
you get a guy like Reynolds who might not be watching all the games. If he's going to have to have actual decision-making power in this organization, he might need like some consultants, some people to help him. So I think we need to be consultants to celebrities who own sports teams who Ryan Reynolds is busy. You know, he's trying to make movies on the side. He's trying to do commercials for his 25 other businesses he runs. You know, he can't, if he can't be looking into making trades, salary cap contracts, all that stuff. So he needs some consultants. I think there's a role for us there. I think, you know, you the go. pickleball teams, if they want to bring us on, we'll watch the leagues, we'll commit and we'll learn. So I think celebrity sports owners, consultants. There we go. Assistants, personal assistants. There you go. Uh, liaisons. Yeah, there's got to be some job there. But yeah, for sure, for sure. Because, I mean, it's a whole ocean away. I mean, you know, not not to knock on Reynolds' commitment, but I'm pretty sure he's not <laughs> hardcore watching every single fifth league soccer game Rexon plays him. So that's kind of just kind of funny. Um, And yeah, good to see him over there. Do soccer teams, do soccer teams have like GMs, like NFL teams? Like how does the front office structure of a soccer team work? Yeah, they got, they got boards, uh, presidents. I mean, obviously it matters the size based on how big the team is. Um, Chances are Rexham has like, um, they, yeah, they, they do. I mean, they have the boss and then they, they do have a couple levels. So yeah, there are presidents. There are definitely roles in the organization. Um, yeah. And I know for the bigger clubs, it's obviously a lot more people, but yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure. There's like a CEO usually there's, yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple. Ryan Reynolds, bring, bring Sam on, on the board, on the staff. Bring him. Hey, look, look, if you're real listening, he's got the FIFA know-how he watched the world cup. There we go. That's that's my whole resume right there. Play play a lot of I play a lot of FIFA and I watch World Cup. It's actually interesting. There's a football manager game out there that some teams in in football have used to scout out players and actually sign some pretty good signings. So it is kind of funny, you know, that you know, don't knock it for a football manager. FIFA is just a little fun thing. But um quick uh quick uh look see over at Frisbee Corner. We have our we had our frisbee schedule announced. So Iowa, we're we're playing our we have an Iowa indoor tournament on February 11th at our it's called the Hawkeye Recreation Tennis Courts or let me let me look up the exact names our uh, complex Hawkeye Tennis Recreation Complex where we're going to be playing uh Northern Iowa University of Northern Iowa Grinnell. Iowa State and alums, IHUC alums, who we lost by one point against in our alum game, which, you know, may seem not a big deal, but it's it's definitely a big deal. Usually they beat us pretty badly. Um, we have some great alum. I mean, there's some there's some world's players. We have one world player, and yeah, there's some there's definitely some good um alum players, but so that we even got them to one uni point. It was it was it was definitely it was a great game came down to the last point it was like it was like right outside our end zone and they got us but we're looking for revenge so yeah just playing some of the best teams in iowa and these aren't like are these these are like old alums right these are like current yeah, yeah, pro yeah. Alums. They're, well they're adults like you know but they're not they're, like I mean, they're not like alumni dinner gray hair alumni these are like active pro no, there's some gray hair there's some there's some oh, gray okay hair. okay I mean, it's not like a team of just professional active alumni 
<laughs> no, no, we do have one player who actually did play on an AUDL team. He got on a roster and he's he's been competing with them. So there is one pro player. Um, we do have one player who used to play on a world's team. Um, and there's there's a couple guys who still play on a couple clubs. Um, but yeah, there it definitely ranges. There's some in their prime of their careers. There's some a little older. Thankfully, the nice thing with Frisbee is, you know, you, you, I think you can play until you're like 60, 70. They got divisions for them. They call it Masters and Grandmasters. So, and Great Grandmasters, there is that division as well. So, you can you can play until you're pretty old. So, but um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to play some of the best competition in Iowa. We definitely want to get our revenge against the alums and also against Iowa State, who we did come down to the last point as well. Um. We almost scored on them in that last point, but you know, well, we'll be looking for a revenge. Go four and zero, hopefully. And uh, yeah, if you're any of the listeners in Iowa City, come on out three to ten and um, February eleventh. It's gonna be uh, gonna be a fun time and probably the easiest one to get to if you live in Iowa City. Is there any chance that you can recruit Tom Brady to this team because he's newly retired? I'm sure the competitive juices are flowing and. Ultimate Frisbee and football, Maybe. there is some res- resemblance there. You know, I don't think there's a quarterback, but what's there, there, there's a throwing position. Like you said, you can play till he's 60. So he, there's a handler. Yeah, he can be a handler till he's 60 and do the avocado ice cream in the TB12 and take over the ultimate. He would dominate the ultimate Frisbee world. You know, I, Iowa City might not be the place for him long term, but it could be a place to start. It could be a place to get, you know, more recognition from other big names. So Tom Brady, I, I think I, I don't know if there's an opening, but I'm guessing there is if he wants one. You know what? I, I may have to talk to the captains. I may have to talk to some people, but yeah, I think I think, you know, we, we could definitely, you know, if his people talk to our people, who knows? Tom Brady, you know, <laughs> you can put that as the headline of the podcast. Tom Brady coming to Iowa City. But uh, you know, totally not clickbait. Put it in the title. I think I think there might be you know it might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think we might be able to find a spot for him somewhere on the team. That'd be wild. And N- um, nil and, deals now. I mean, you could give him money too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it'd be it'd be funny. It'd be funny. But um, yeah. No, I mean, we we definitely we're definitely excited. So it's like in two weekends, anticipation is building. And uh, yeah, first tournament of the year at home. Don't have to do a drive, and yeah, we should, we should, we should go four and zero. It's gonna, it's gonna be not easy, but we should go four and zero. But I think that should be about it for the pod. Um. Oh yeah. Also, we it got back. The reserves come out tomorrow, actually. Ooh. So maybe we could look over them next pod. Might be a little tease there for you. Look at who, what teams, who, who's got the better team. We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm weirdly more uh, excited for the Rising Star Challenge because you know you don't know with those guys. It's a lot more interesting. Like you know, it's the same old five guys with the normal All Star. But and we talked about it. The league is deep right now. Like that game is actually good. Go load that game up in two K and 05 and you start like the the rosters drop off. You can't you can't put ten young guys out on the court. You have, 30 young young guys two rosters of guys like now you can actually put 30 young guys out there and have like real basketball teams it's gonna be fun and people are mad about rising all rising star snubs i mean we got warriors fans mad about like it's like it's like an actual thing they probably get mad about moody though that's the real one um 
but yeah, check out for that. We got the Pro Bowl at the end of this week. I don't, I don't, well, I don't know what to review, but that'll be some interesting flag football. Hopefully, nothing happens crazy. And yeah, thank you for listening. Um, check out the rest of the stuff on Spop.media, our Spotify, Rem, and Sam. And Rem is working super hard. That Instagram looks like every time I check it, there's another video that I got to support. He's putting in those hours. So go show some love. Follow the account. Give it, get the hype. Get that pushed up. We're getting hot takes out here left and right. So we got to show the people, got to show them all the great stuff that we're working on. Mostly Rem, but, you know, I'm here for the ride. And, yeah, thanks for listening. And, yeah, keep an eye out for our next pod. Bye.